Is he, you know, from Maryland? He's not a crab. A podcast. Today's episode, by the way. Hi, I'm Ivy. And I'm your co host, Dan. On today's episode, by the way, uh, it's BI, by the way. <laughs> bye, 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 bye. Bye, not bye. The, not the drink nor the song by NSYNC, but a nice menage, a duo, I guess, of the two. <laughs> Um, today, our menage duo of topics and topines will be to talk about sexual identity and identity at large and how it plays a role in your health. And we'll first start off by talking a bit about how um, your sexual identity is developing, how it's an ongoing Sexual process. and gender identity. I feel like Correct. we should... I think we should general... Not generalize it, but I think we should make it into a broader scope of your identity regarding that of, like, your present like your gender presentation your sexual presentation and your romantic presentation because those are all things that are unfolding um and are all on a spectrum because life is not black and white yeah and these things are um can be challenging can be uh bewildering and they're a process um so we'll kind of talk about that first in the first half of the episode then we'll have a drink piece to split things up uh, so get excited for some dang news articles. And then the last half of our episode today, we'll talk about finding safe spaces to experiment with or identify or just get in touch with your identity and share that with other people and express it in the ways that you see fit. This will include both kind of physical spaces and also maybe some non-physical spaces like online. Yep. Um, so, Ivy, let's jump into it. Um, cool. Cool. So just for context here, um, I, one of your co-hosts, Dan, identify as bisexual. I've mentioned this in previous episodes before. Um, And in addition, I also identify as um, a cis male, uh, meaning that I was assigned male at birth, and that's how I identify my gender. Um, So with that, uh, one thing I want to keep in mind here with our conversation is I want to try to fully acknowledge the massive amount of privilege I have. Um, because when I am out and about in the world, I can present as a very vanilla, straight white male. Yep. And that, that comes with a lot of privilege. Uh, so I try to acknowledge that. But enough of me talking. Uh, I, think you wanna... I, I think presentation is a very important aspect of um, being in the LGBTQ space. Uh, and I'm not... I'm not saying, like, you have to present a certain way in order to be accepted by that space, but I feel like that's a common conversation of, like, how do I present my identity, like, that I have, like, my internal identity and make sure it's physically expressed, and then how do I also stay, you know, stay safe um, within mainstream society? Um, So I think, like, having an LGBTQ community where it helps you develop your presentation, no matter what it may be, um, is like very essential for me personally. I am a cisgendered female, so I have two X chromosomes. And I, at birth, the doctor was like, "It's a girl," and I was like, "All right, cool, we're gonna roll with it." 
Um, and I mean, I've experimented with like non-binary presentation. Um, mm-hmm. Some of it I liked, some of it I was like, ah, you know, and then at the end of the day, it's like still like a fluid development, but I still predominantly identify feminine uh, versus masculine. Although I will say I will dress up in the most masculine ways, case in point, flannel. Um, and then, like, sexually, I do identify, like, I don't know, like, my sexual identity and, like, my romantic identity is, like, constantly changing, and I don't know if it's due to self-express, like, internal expression or, like, due to past traumas of how things develop, but I still, I think it's important to realize that the journey of your gender identity, your sexual identity, and your romantic identity or anything within the LGBTQ community, that identity is always continuing to develop. And just because you say you're one thing one day does not mean that you have to 100% solidly be that thing the next day. There's some people that are like, you know what, I identify as this, and they're, they stick with it. And then some people initially identify as something, and then things change and develop, and they realize, oh, maybe... I identify with an aspect of this, but not 100%, and then they continue to grow. And I think, especially because we're, we're young adults, we're, well, we're technically adults now. Yeah. Uh, we're in a different vote, like a survey bracket, if you will. We show up a different range on the census and shit, but... We're also in an urban center, which influences a lot of things. I wasn't even referring to urban center. I'm saying, like, because we are adults... We've had time to go through the process of like Ah, puberty has hit it, puberty has hit, social development has started or has happened and is still continuing. And then like we've had time and experience to develop saying like, you know, what, I'm fairly comfortable with how I identify right now. Do I know what I'm going to identify as 10, 20 years from now? Not really, no, but it's I'm fairly confident with what I have now. People who are in middle school or in high school and their identity their their self is reflected by what they see in the community around them may not be how they actually identify i mean i know a lot of people from my middle school and high school that now identify entirely different than what they did in middle school and high school because they've had that chance to grow so keep in mind that if you're in middle school or high school or whatever age range you're in, you don't have to wake up one day and go like, I, yes, I know which gender I am or I know which sexuality I fall under. No, no one needs to know that right away. It's not like a question on your college application. It's just something that's ever unfolding and evolving. Yeah, as, as a part of our process, too, there's a big line here between what we identify as to ourselves right. independently and how we present or express ourselves in that way, too. Right. Um, so just to share some of my experience, I mentioned this probably in an earlier episode, but I spent some time being closeted. Um, frankly, it wasn't that long of a time, in large part because I did not really come to understand my identity mm-hmm. until much later in life, in part because I simply didn't know it was an option. Right. And I hadn't given myself chances to experiment and had a supportive environment that allowed me to do so for quite a while. Um, but even then afterwards, there was a period of time where I transitioned to identifying myself and only to myself. Right. To perhaps my therapist and some very close friends afterwards. And then kind of, as time went on, I went kind of publicly more out. Right. But even then, it has a lot more kind of balanced back and forward because there are some days when I present in a very... 
I guess, not politically, but just generally conservative kind of form of dress where I try to blend into my local surroundings. Right, you try to be a wallflower. Yeah. There's also other days where, like today, I'm wearing my denim vest, uh, which is just studded with all sorts of pins, including specific signals of how I identify. So I have a queer cat pin, I have a bi pride pin, I have mm-hmm. all these signals where I am trying to kind of show this. And I mean, my reasons for that are multifold. I want to express myself in that way, and I'm also trying to willingly broadcast to others that this is my identity and I want to be a resource and a support for other people. And like, that's a choice that I am making. Right. Um, which kind of paints this whole thing here of not only is it a process, but it's not only kind of a year to year span of change, but it's a day to day. Right. And I mean, I, it also depends on the environment that you're in. Oh yeah. The, because like with our friend group, we're, we're just all Queens, um, in our own way. And I think that's an entirely different, presentation of self and i'm not saying that as though who i am at work is less authentic than who i am around you or around my gym buddies or at home it's just this is the portion of me that i feel the most willing to open up about it and when i'm at work i'll be like well i'm gonna stuff that into like a nice corner pocket and then just focus on another aspect of self and i and i think that's what a lot of people struggle with uh, in the LGBTQ community because, like, there's been so much suppression for so long, and even now, that it's, like, it's hard to compartmentalize your identity because you shouldn't have to, realistically. I should be able to go to work and be like, yes, this is my girlfriend, this is my boyfriend, this is my partner, if that conversation comes up, but I don't feel comfortable with that because that's just, like, I don't know the I Like, I have to read the environment more. But unfortunately, we live in a society of, like, your gender identity has to be suppressed in order to get a job. Your sexual identity or romantic identity has to be suppressed in order to keep that job or to even get the job. Like, think of how many people who are trans, like transgender or even non-binary, that they lose their job once they start going through that transition process. That's not cheap. That's not easy. But it's, like, because there's no support system for them to protect them as employees, that can be pulled out from under their rug. So they may be, like, really confident and comfortable who they are, but there's not a way to protect them once they start expressing who they are internally to make it an external expression. Yeah, and that can be super difficult. Because I know a few folks um, who identify in that way. Yeah. And they've had varying degrees of support from their organization. Some of them get tons of support and they're actively trying to support and foster that identity they want to have which is great right i've known other folks who the organization tries to be helpful they slip up and make mistakes and that's fine right um but you know it's not ideal and of course there's sadly the more common story we hear of there's simply a lack of recognition um or just complete loss of job yeah or you cannot get hired because i mean what we were watching uh, Queer Eye the other day, like a couple months ago, and it's like a trans man was trying to get a job, but they could or like get another job or whatever, but they couldn't because their driver's license didn't match with how they presented because they were yeah. doing full presentation of who they are because they're entitled to that. But because of the barriers the legal between, documents. Yeah, because legal documents didn't match, you know, their employer's like no, even if that person's really qualified. And I, 
you know, there's, we could go into, like, a full discussion regarding that of, like, the legal, like, all the barriers that are involved within any form of transition, but there's just a lot to unpack that we do not have time for in this specific segment. There's also other voices we may include in the right. future who are better equipped to talk yeah, about Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, like, much um, better equipped because we're not professionals, but, but like, we can s- observe from experience, but, yeah. or not um, from personal experience, but, I mean, I can in some cases, but not in all cases. Carry on. Yeah, uh, but one of the things I did want to kind of touch back on, as you mentioned before, is how sometimes we will or will not have that feeling of what's called cognitive dissonance, where your mind is feeling stress or distress in this case because what your identity or what your thinking is does not match your current context. Right. Um, and I, I face this to a small extent myself sometimes. Um, well, luckily, I've had the ability to dress and present in a much more authentic way in my organization, right. which is great. Uh, historically, I've not in other places. So having that freedom is really big for me. Um, and it can be little things where like, I like to paint my nails. Right. Or uh, I like to dress in more femme clothing at times. I'm very lucky to have the current organization I have and also the, uh, frankly, privilege I do to kind of have that wider latitude to do those things. Right. Because that's not always the case in whatever work environment you go into, yeah. And at the same time, though, I also know that I can get into certain patterns of I feel like there's certain things I can't talk about with other coworkers, other people, and you know things don't line up with my friends and things if i don't have that community to connect to to express and communicate that identity that can be very stressful yeah um because you can have this desire to connect with other people or just to be yourself and without that connection it can be very stressful that not only do you feel that you're doing a disservice to other people by not telling them the truth right um but also you feel this misconnection of if there have been signals that say, you know, you can't present in that way. That is not accepted. That's not allowed. Right. Um, and sometimes with anxiety, I think about this a lot more than probably I need to. Yeah. Uh, but it, it helps kind of paint this here. So I know that um, when I am able to display myself in those ways, and it doesn't have to be all the time, but having the ability to do so is what's yeah. big for me. Yeah, I think you're kind of jumping ahead towards the second segment, yeah, though. Yeah. <laughs> but, no, those are all valid situations of where it's like if you don't feel that support, it's harder to be, quote-unquote, out of the closet. Um, but I think, like, a huge aspect that we should really endorse and appreciate within the LGBTQ community is that, like, that transformation and not even, like, transformation physically, but also, like, mentally of where someone's coming in from whatever space that they are coming in from and entering another space. Of, like, where they're, dev- like, they're learning and they're developing their identity and understanding what that means for them. And then, like, being able to understand other people's identity. Because, I mean, unfortunately, in the LGBTQ community, there's a lot... It It's not bad. It's not bad in any way. But there's problematic issues that need to be addressed. And depending on where you go in that community or in the community, you can get a bad experience. And that's just something that happens. No matter, unfortunately, whatever community you're in, there's going to be people that are like, well, you know, I think LGBTQ just needs to be lesbian, trans, bisexual, or gay. And... Not include people who might identify in other things, such yeah. as asexual, asexual or sapphic or other. Yeah. Or, like, you know, non-binary or anything like that. So just 
that is an unfortunate aspect to know, but realize that when you start exploring who you are as an individual in that realm, know that you're not alone in that process because you're not the only one going through it. Yeah. Someone else, same age, same identity as you currently are, maybe even in the same city or region or same time frame is going through that same experience. And then whatever you're going through, this is not the first time in history that someone's going through that. And I think that's a thing to keep in mind because it can be a very self-isolating situation depending on what is your surrounding environment. If you have a supportive environment, then that's a lot easier. But if you have an environment where you have to be closeted until a certain point in time or forever, then that's going to be hard as well. And I think like our society as it is now has definitely gotten a lot more accepting, but there's still, you know, as we mentioned, things that barriers that still pop up that we have to confront and deal with. Definitely. And I think it's a great point you mentioned that there's a lot of people who probably have had that same experience you've had, mm-hmm. um, but also the people who have similar experiences that are different. Right. And what I think is kind of beautiful from that is to take away from the universal nature of it. Right. That's what I'm saying is yeah. like, you know, think of it in this way, like when you are in middle school and like puberty's hitting you and you're starting to recognize you know your classmates along the spectrum and you're like ah they're attractive and they're attractive and they're attractive and you're like I don't know like media tells me I should only be you know attracted to one gender but I'm attracted to all these different genders and like maybe I don't identify as really masculine or really feminine and like vice versa. I don't versa. know so many things. Right and like just realize that like that process that you're going through it does feel self-isolating but so I can guarantee you someone else is going through the same exact process so you should not feel alone your thoughts might be different but like the feelings that you have with it that dysphoria that self-isolation that depression that doubt you know like the self the self-worth that you start attacking that's not that's not something that you alone feel someone else has definitely felt that or is feeling that and just to touch on something I, n- I noticed you're saying a lot here mm-hmm. is this notion of feelings. Right. Um, when we talk about identity, we can very often latch on to uh, labels and right. words and terms because that's usually shorthand. It helps us understand that conversation. Right. But at the same time, we also recognize that all those words and terms can feel like you have to fit into one of those boxes, um, which is something mm-hmm. we want to be clear about. You don't have As to. part of a process... You might want to expose yourself to these ideas, Mm. but you don't have to have the same definition as anyone else. I mean, I I was um, at a presentation at the center on Halstead because I volunteer there. Mm -hmm. And they were saying that those boxes or labels are not there for you to say, oh, I identify as trans or identify as non-binary and you can't be anything else, it's there to make it easier for the conversation with yourself and with others. Exactly. It's a segue. It's not concrete. You are not locked in that box. Yeah, these words are tools. Yeah, they're tools. I wouldn't say, like, the description is different or, like, the definition is different, but it's it's a tool to say, like, I identify as queer, and if you're wanting to explain that to someone... 
you go like i identify as queer and that person might be like what do you mean i thought that was a slur and you're like well some people still identify it as a slur and some don't and like you have that conversation starting or like you're not sure how to like i don't identify as bi i don't identify as pan i don't identify as gay or lesbian it's like a very loose terminology that you can use in order to build up your self-confidence and your self-identity and then at some point you can be like eh, fuck labels whatever that's you or you can say like you know women loving women lesbian or not and then you just like build up that community that way yeah it's also fine if you have no desire to have those labels too right um what it comes down to at least in my perspective is when i think about my identity i think about how well i know myself and i will still be surprised and learn new things about myself Mm -hmm. uh but as part of that it's when i'm thinking about concepts or thinking about certain situations or just states of being do i feel comfortable with the person that i currently am right and if it comes so far and it's very fine if i don't feel that um but you'll have these formative moments where you can both say this feels right this feels natural yeah you also have other times you say that felt not good wrong or confusing um and that's a journey you're going to navigate but it's having those experiences that helps give us more understanding of this even if there is no definition ever right and i mean like yeah it's just doing self-check-in through that growing process and whatever stage you're in and there is no final stage final stage is death (laughs) yeah but but yeah it's just like it's a learning process and we're all still evolving I think that's a good place for us to to stop our first topping. So moving forward, let's go to our next section, drink peace. Uh, This episode of Personal Pains Drink Peace is brought to you by not drinking. Not drinking because you had acupuncture today or because you're making healthy life choices. It's mainly because I've been drinking so much alcohol and I needed to take a break for my liver to restart. Also, your liver's already working on some Dayquil. Oh, fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care. Dayquil but, for days. Uh, dear listener, to remind you, uh, Drink Feast, this is where we take a random Bing news article, um, and we will wildly speculate on it for a few minutes, going off of just the headline, and then sometimes for fun, we'll take a look at what it actually is. Yep. Um, this has included things such as the GOP team up with mountain bikers, Yep. or Nord Stream 2... Power company or giant robot overlord? Power company, but yeah. Or gene editing, that was one that we talked yeah. about. So, um, in just a moment here, Ivy, I want you to pick a number, one through, let's say, 12. Five. Five. So we're going to go ahead and pull up big news here. and pick up the fifth article we have here, unless it is completely alienated or super problematic. Yep. So, Probably. Bing, don't fail us now. Good, because I didn't want to do the one after it. Uh, so, our article today comes from The Hollywood Reporter. Guillermo del Toro unveils scary stories to tell in the dark trailer. I'm so, I know about this. I don't know anything about it, but I'm here for it. Oh, my God. So, have you ever read those books as kids that, like, scary stories to tell in the dark? No. Dan. I see it's like campfire stories? Dan. They spoopy? They scary? You, you don't read them at the campfire. Are they skeletons? Oh, it's it's a it's a ta- like this accumulation of short stories. My favorite book in kindergarten was from that, and my favorite story actually that does ext- that explains a lot. But so they're making it into I think it's a it's just a one time movie. So they're I think they're taking like some 
picks the compilation of stories into one film. Right. I'm thinking that's what's going to end up happening. But, because it would be really hard otherwise. But I am living for it. I would actually prefer to have it as, like, a TV series, like, on Netflix or Hulu. Okay. Um, Or, actually, HBO would probably be the best. But, because all the graphics. It's going to be a Guillermo Toro film, so they're going to make one. There'll be a huge fan base. And, like, you talking about a sequel that'll never get made, mothballed, maybe it's directed, and if it does come out, you'll be disappointed. Point being is that... It's just going to be just a feast of horror, but not in like a way like it's not going to be like Get Out or Us. Like that's psychological horror. There might be that in there, but it's just like there's stories that are supposed to scare children. Okay. And I'm just I'm excited for it because it kind of reminds me of like you know those scary movies where it's like a parody of scary movies, but this is going to be more like it'll be fun but gruesome and scary, and I'm living for it. It's all of my aesthetics. It's so like an anthology. Yeah. I assume there's a lot of uh, monsters in there? Some are monsters. Some are, like, some are, yeah. You have to read some of the stories. I'm, I'm just excited for Guillermo del Toro to make more monsters, because he's so good at making monsters. Well, he's not... None of them would be original by him. No, but it's the depictions of them. Yeah. Well, no, because they're all... They're, the stories are, like, images. Oh, the illustrated? Yeah, they're oh, illustrated. Oh, that's a very important note. Yeah, they're not like comics, but it's like they'll show an image and then there'll be like a little, like a paragraph or two and then you flip the page and there'll be another image and it'll be like another paragraph or two. So there are clear set depictions of one. Like, for example, my favorite story is the girl with the green ribbon in which it tells you that the green ribbon is keeping her head attached to her body and if you take the green ribbon, she dies. And does it turn out the green ribbon's a snake? No. It, ju- it doesn't end happily. None of these end Does happily. Does the ribbon come off with her head? You take off the ribbon. She dies because her head falls off. Because the only way that she's ke- kept alive was the green ribbon was keeping her head attached to her body. So it was like around her neck. Take it off. Head falls off. Did she remove it? Sure. That's like that's the kind of stories you would be seeing. Okay. It's, it's like they're... Like the big old house in the spooky, spooky forest. It's just like an escalation of of creepy. It's not macabre in the fact of like there's blood and guts everywhere. It's just like a sense of unease. So the question is, since this would be a film release, yep. do we see separate kind of anthology stories broken up? Or do we see some sort of connecting thread across them? Well... Uh, so this is maybe this... Like a Black Mirror situation where there's like references to the other stories that are not directly connected? It... I don't know because like the story like when you read those stories they're isolated they're on their own nothing connects them together. Yeah. So I'm not sure how he's going to take that and compile it to an entire movie. That's why I'm saying I think a TV series would be a lot more appropriate because you can take each story and then like build a 30 minute episode around it. Um, but for movies I guess they're like just going to compile things and just thread it together. They're just going to put all the stories put it in the blender and go hodgepodge. True, but I'm saying, what would you... Let's say if we have to stick with a movie, what, how what? would you rather see it? Because I think if done well, you can have a very interesting kind of... Uh, it's hard to say, because sometimes you'll have a central character who kind of weaves stories in and out, and when done well, it can work, but it's so I, hard, and it usually gets weird. What is the... Have you ever seen any theater of the absurd? No, it sounds... So... It, like, it's a style of theater, so you know how most plays are like, blah, 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 plot, climax, and end? Yeah. Theater of the Absurd is, it's like going on a roller coaster. 
of like there's okay. little bits of climax. I've never seen it, but I have read about it. Right. So I would kind of prefer doing something like that, where there's no true climax that we typically see in films. I would prefer to see like small climaxes throughout it, to have like each story kind of folded in together. Okay, and then that begs the question: Would you be okay with a non-sequential story where we're jumping between the stories? Yeah. Okay. I'd be fine. As long as that's clear cut. I Not in the way we're like Suicide Squad, because fuck that. But where every character has a song introduction, even if they die within the first five minutes of the film. Where every character... Like, there's, there was just so much to take. It was so not good. Um, but, like, as long as there's, like... Where you can clearly follow this is current, past future whatever as long as there's like you are able to make that distinction as a viewer it can be done i don't want to be like this is 1993 and then this is 1998 because a lot of the fucking aesthetics are very similar i can't distinguish that in a film smash cut there you go but it's like you'd have to make that transition to be very clear and concise are you scared it's gonna turn out bad I'm always scared movies are going to turn out bad. That's why I don't watch movies, Dan. So should I leave you in the dark on this one? I mean, sure. We'll be strangers in the night. Exchange glances. <laughs> which I just found out is by Frank Sinatra. Oh, boy. <laughs> Sinatra and Ivy. Strangers no more. Strangers no more. Well, I, I know that song. I just, like, I've never heard him sing it. So I've just only heard it drunkenly renditioned on the green line at 4 o'clock in the morning. As Frank Sinatra would have intended. Yep. All right, well, I think it's a good time then to move on to our second topping for the night, uh, and that is navigating your identity and expressing yourself later on. So, Ivy, you were right to point out before I kind of bled into this a little bit. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, so if you're comfortable, I'll let you go ahead and kick things off then. I've been talking so much, Dan. No. <laughs> All right. Yes, that's a no then. Um, I would. I would. Actually, pref- I feel like I'm taking too much of the mic time, and I'd rather oh, have your perspective come in. You're fine. Thank you, though. Um, and... With that, I think it's actually a good place for us to start talking about this. Is when we talk about it, any things, recognizing where people's comfort is at and your own comfort too. Mm-hmm. So when you see that, you know what, you feel like you are just focusing too much on your identity and you just want to learn from the people, that's also fine too. Yeah. Uh, and I found this very actually, helpful. Go ahead. I'd say like, learn other people's identity. Not it's also fine. No, make an active decision to do that. Don't make the safe spaces or the lgbtq community about yourself make it about others and make it about a collective of like we are together so understand of like if i'm cisgender understand the perspective of someone that's transgender make a point to understand that because you know i'm not going to understand the day-to-day situation unless i have that conversation same with someone that is identifies lesbian or bi or got it yeah so like i'm don't be so don't accident don't subconsciously isolate in that yeah and i think that's a good point there is when we enter these spaces uh they're safe but they might be open very public they also might be a little bit more restricted or somewhat closed off. that's gonna be for different reasons Mm -hmm. so depending on how that is some people are going to want to have a degree of anonymity or a degree of just general respect and that's something we should always keep in mind as we're navigating these spaces here where you might be fully out and very confident in your identities. But recognize as you interact with the people in the spaces, they may not feel the same way. So the most yeah. important thing you can do here is communicate. So yeah. we mentioned learning from people. 
yes, by being in a space you can learn about people. We're not saying to sit around at a, at a bar sometime and just observe people and take notes. Yeah, have conversations. Connect with them. Have conversations. And yeah. the best way to be respectful of people is communicate. Mm-hmm. Communicate and when these spaces are open, try to be open as well yourself. Yep. Um, just saying you're learning isn't just hearing information and making your own judgments. It is allowing yourself to hear perspectives that you may not feel entirely comfortable hearing at first or that you just don't know about. You need to be open to that change, too. Right. Um, but again, respect kind of threads all this together to make sure that there's a balance of when you ask somebody who maybe have identified in a certain way to tell more about them, make sure that conversation then is about them. Yeah. And don't just say, oh, I want to know your perspective as you know, this identity. Mm-hmm. Instead, say, what's your name? <laughs> Can you tell me a little bit more about this? As you kind of start this conversation, try to make it organic. But it's something that you want to do to make sure that you're not just classifying these people in these ways. And then when you exit that space, you're going to share that knowledge and information. So you're going to continue to have that knowledge and information. And when you share it in any capacity, think, how can I be respectful and am I divulging somebody's identity or experiences that they've allowed me to do so? Hmm. Or if I did maybe didn't ask about that or don't have an understanding, then I should also make sure that I'm being respectful and holding off and not just saying, oh, well, I met somebody who identifies in this way and they said this and this and this. Right. And here's some identifying information about them. Right. Because to keep these places safe, we want to make sure we understand why and how it's safe too mm-hmm. and our role in that too. Yeah. And I think, like, an important aspect is recognize that, it, like, a huge aspect of respect is not going in saying, like, I fit in all of these boxes of oppression and suppression, therefore I'm, you know, number one. I mean, you know, like, what, we're both cisgendered, moderately, and, you know, we're both white. So, obviously, we going into spaces with that level of confidence is just arrogance and hubris and just a dick move. But just because you identify as LGBTQ doesn't mean that you know everything about that community. I mean, I don't know everything. That's the point of having conversations and going to presentations and doing, like, going to events that are sponsored or, like, curated to specific identities. So you can go and say, like, you know, I've not personally experienced this, but I want to understand your perspective and how can you communicate that? Sometimes it's through art pieces, sometimes it's through plays, through musical renditions, through poetry, through like just lectures and conversations and like that's why you have to make you have to make an effort at the end of the day no matter what community you're in, you have to make an effort to understand the perspective of the people in your community and those outside of it. And I mean, like, obviously making an effort to understand straight people is a little bit hard to do because it's like, that's what mainstream media is like saturated, but like, quote unquote default. Yeah. That's the deep. Yeah. It's like everyone, that's the default understanding, but it's like making an effort to understand of like, oh, this person is like a person of color and they're straight or like they're straight but like you know there's other stuff going on just because they are straight doesn't mean i should disqualify their identity and i think that's the whole thing that unfortunately some sub communities some sub some 
I'm going to say broader sense communities because I've seen problems within the LGBTQ community in itself. It's gotten better. And I mean, there's specific programs and people that are like actively fighting against that bullshit where it's like, because you're gay and, or like you identify as LGBTQ, you want to be really accepted into mainstream society. So you will push back an identity that mainstream society that doesn't, that mainstream society doesn't like. And you erase the entire experience of all those individuals that fit within that identity, no matter which one it is. Just one small subset can be more accepted, or like the overall LGBTQ group could be accepted in theory. And I think that's bullshit because the whole concept of you are a community, you are there together, you are there to support each other no matter what the opposing identity is. Yeah, and for those who don't know the term here is intersectionality. Right. And I mean, that's that's important. Um, if you're just going to be a good human being, just have a, an understanding of, and concept of intersectionality. Because that's a huge thing that I don't think is discussed enough, in my personal opinion, of where, like, those different identities can... Because everyone's human. And it's not like, oh, we're snowflakes, is it though we're soft and gentle, whatever, bullshit... Joe Rogan and recognizing these identities and respect them. Right. Um, What I'm saying is that like we're all snowflakes in the concept that like we are all uniquely made. We all have different things that make us to be a human being. And it's not saying that that makes us gentle. That doesn't mean that we're whiny. It just means that like here's my gender identity. Here's my sexual identity. Here's my religious identity. Here's my ethnic identity here is my race identity here's like my class identity like there's just so much that goes in my education identity there's so much that goes into that that if you say you can only defend one of those identities you're losing yourself as a person yeah and i think um you're touching on a number of things here Mm -hmm. Uh, if you're comfortable i think we've been probably addressed one of them directly so okay a good way we can talk about this is the idea of a subgroup of people called which use the term TERFs, or trans-exclusionary feminism. I think that's the stupid... I'm sorry. Would you mind explaining what it is for any listeners who are not familiar? Um, yeah. If you also don't want to get into this, it's also super fine. This is a <laughs> very infuriating topic. It is. So trans-exclusionary feminist TERFs, TERFs are cisgendered women predominantly, or there might be cisgendered men, and they're stating that transgendered women are not women and they should not be counted as being feminist or within the group because they're assuming stupidly in my opinion that it is a man masquerading a woman as a woman in order to get more sympathy that's not the case trans women exist trans men exist non-binary non-binary you can have a uterus and not identify as female you can have a penis and identify as female those are just things that those are aspects because gender is a spectrum but turfs are unfortunately an aspect in our society where they just exclude the concept that trans individuals are valid and that's in my opinion absolute bullshit because First of all, the LGBTQ community wouldn't be a fucking thing without trans women, so fight me. Yeah, uh, fully agreed. 
Yeah. Um, and just to build on this a little bit more, the kind of concept of turfs here that infuriates a lot of people, I can imagine, is that they're already they're already working with folks who are usually marginalized. Yep. And the high level idea behind feminism is the belief that all genders, and there's more than two genders, yep, should be treated and respected equally. Yeah. It is not saying that women should be better than men. It's not saying that men and women should be equal even. It is saying that all genders, in broad term, mm -hmm. should be respected and recognized. Equally. And equally, yes. Yeah. And the frustration here is that by seeing a, a group of people as a threat to your fight to give more rights to other people yeah, no, it's, is a failure to recognize what we mentioned before, intersectionality of yep. having all different shapes and sizes and experiences build a more authentic yep. and a more better equipped um, coalition to actually make social change toward these goals you have. Yeah, and I mean like it's... it's it, it frustrates me from a strategic perspective of if you are trying to have meaningful social change, why are you focusing your efforts on what you wrongly so perceive as this very small group of people as a threat to your organization when your true opponent, your true antagonist is a much larger analogous group that day after day actively tries to put you down? So Dan, that's all of history. Think of, like, the suffragists. Suffragists? Suffragists. Yeah. Like, they purposefully put women of color aside in order for white women to be able to vote first. Like, I, unfortunately, I am not surprised by the absolute bullshit of this. I, in no way am I surprised because, unfortunately, we as a society like to be like, let me put myself before everyone else type of thing. And that's just... That's dumb, because you're not carrying a community at that point. You're just carrying yourself and your own self-interest, not the interests of your community. Yeah, and it's this very frustrating pattern where people fail to realize that it is truly being together that will get more things done rather than just getting these plurality, pluralities. Well, yeah, but I don't think it's a failure to recognize. I think it's specifically saying, I mean, I'm not saying that. There's probably some people who are willfully ignorant, right? Mm -hmm. But I think it's more along the concept of a power dynamic. I don't want to lose power. Therefore, I'm going to make sure this person, who are kind of in the same community, I'm going to make sure they don't get the same amount of power that I do so I can still have these entitlements. That's the whole mentality. That That's what white culture is, Dan. Yeah. That's what white feminism is. That's what white culture is. Is like I'm so afraid that I'm going to lose power. I'm going to prevent these other communities from gaining power and that is a very illogical and irrational response to something that doesn't even exist like okay cool white people yes we do have power but another community gaining power like getting to the same level of us does not mean that i'm losing power as a white person it just means that like hey now we can both make in a consecutive decision and we can both do things without having additional fucking social dynamics involved yeah it's, it's 
the danger of only perceptions. With it, I think we're in, uh, we're having a very good conversation, but I think we may have gone a little too far. Point being, <laughs> when you are in a community, be there for the community. Don't be just there for yourself. Learn in that community. Be respectful of the community that you're in, and go into a comfort zone, like go into a place that you weren't initially comfortable with, and have conversations and learn about people and start humanizing the experiences that everyone else has because that's the most important thing no matter what community you're in just recognize that whatever you're going through someone else is going through something similar or they you might just whatever your identity is doesn't may not match up directly with someone else but that doesn't mean that you guys can't you know have a branching point you realize that you have a lot of commonalities don't isolate other identities just because it doesn't mesh with your identity go out there have conversations be respectful of it whether that's a closed space like in a safe environment or an open space just communicate effectively and learn because it's the only way that you as an individual and as the community is going to grow is if you communicate respectfully and learn of experiences yeah, and you will, as long as you stay open and respectful, learn. And there'll be a lot of small things. Mistakes happen as you're yeah. going through things. But it's in owning those mistakes yeah. and then asking the question, how can I make this right? Right. Or not even right. How can I learn from this experience? Yes. Don't go into the concept of, like, I'm going to save the day. Just how Sorry. can I learn? Just to clarify, my mention there is particularly with online communities, for instance, which can be a great tool for a lot of folks. Right. Um, where you can connect with other people from around the world, or different perspectives, or even locally, but if you're maybe a bit more shy and don't want to have that face-to-face, at least to start things out, perfectly fine. Right. Uh, but a very common thing that happens in online communities is that people will be learning just how that conversation is going online, and there'll right. be certain things that get slipped up, and you may very well get called out for it. In doing so, that's not meant to be an attack on you. It's meant to be trying to uphold those norms and those f- forms of communication you have, which mm-hmm. are there for a reason, to try and protect things. Right. Um, so when people you know, try to correct you or mention things, try not to be defensive. Try to say, oh, sorry, can you please explain to me one more time, what did I do? What happened here? What... What do we need to address? How can we learn from this? Right. Just and keep that conversation, conversation going. going. Yeah. Don't shut it out. Just be like, how can I learn? Can you give me your perspective and your understanding so I can gain knowledge from your experience and better myself? There's not like, you're not going to suddenly get to a level 100 and like, I've made it. I am the most <laughs> woke person ever. Achievement unlocked. Ah, ha, ha, ha. No, it's just, you're... everything is a learning experience and just go into that no matter where you're at everything is a learning experience and it keeps going yeah Uh, (sighs) anyways I don't really want to do a pun off because this was a very heavy conversation finger guns finger guns yeah I don't think doing a pun off is going to be most appropriate Uh, no um, and I think that's going to leave us with actually a very good closing note yeah um we try to have fun here on on the pod, but as you've noticed, we've had a theme this new season here. Seriousness, kind of. Not really. And health and yeah. wellness. Yeah, just care. Um, and I think we'll probably do some pun-offs in the future. Yeah. But you're right, after the weight of this conversation, 
probably best just to sign off here. And this is yeah. a good lesson for all of you here, too, of acknowledge when there might be something that's very important to you, but reading the room. Yep. I mean, I always like to make jokes of uncomfortable situations, but I'm going to make a firm line of, no, no. That I will make jokes of my personal un- discomfort, not of the discomfort of of my frustration and of the community. Terrific well, line. P- point being is, <laughs> have a great month. We'll see Thanks you next listening. month. And pun till next, next time. time. I've been Dan. I've been Ivy. Fuck, we messed that up. Bye! <laughs> <laughs>